uh, Angus McGuinness. Uh, he was an elder in a Presbyterian church in New South Wales. But Angus didn't like the direction the younger generation was taking the church, especially when it came to modern music. When lots of people at his church decided to modernise things to update the music, Angus disagreed so strongly, he resigned from the eldership, took the whole McGuinness family with him as well and left because they didn't like modern music and they couldn't fellowship with people who did. Now, the funny part of this true sad story, though, is that the year was 1881 and the modern instrument, the centre of all the fuss, was the pedal-driven pump organ. Uh, and Angus McGuinness wanted no part of it. Uh, actually, a similar thing happened to me a number of years ago in another Presbyterian church. Uh, I'd been asked to play guitar in church uh, by the minister. It was the first time it had happened in this church. But when I started, one of the elders stood up together with his wife and they walked out. I didn't think my playing was that bad. Another church I know had such huge ongoing fights about whether to have a parents' cry room installed in the back of the church, the minister had to go on stress leave. Other churches have almost come to blows over stained glass windows or whether the choir should sing every week or every other week or whether you can have hot drinks in the church building or only in the hall incredible stories about how insignificant things can result in disagreements that almost destroy churches things so trivial the bible doesn't even bother mentioning them and yet they can tear churches apart uh, here in verse 1 of chapter 14 of romans they're called disputable matters and Paul goes on to give some instructions about how to deal with them, how to make sure these differences of opinion don't destroy churches. Because disputable matters don't have to lead to disputes. Now, don't, don't misunderstand me. There are things that we can never be flexible about. There's absolutely foundational stuff about who Jesus is and how you're saved, the authority of the Bible, justification, forgiveness... Now, those things are indisputable. You have to agree on those. But there are a whole lot of things around the edges that the Bible is either not clear about or about uh, which are, are less important. And Christians hold different opinions about them. And these issues can lead to disagreements and disunity. And they shouldn't. Rather than a body that works together and builds itself up in love... There are disagreements and judgment and minor issues become more important than unity and love. Personal preference becomes more important than building up others. That's not God's plan for his church. And so here's God's advice for how to deal with disagreements about disputable matters. You might want to launch straight into the practical details, verse 1, but we're not. We're just going to stop and remind ourselves of what God's big picture is God's plan for his church. We've seen it all the way through Romans about how now that Jesus has come along, the non-Jews get to join with the Jews, with God's people. And they are both now God's new people because they trust Jesus. They're united as one because Jesus is the Lord and Saviour of all. It'll certainly be that way at the end on Judgment Day. And so God's plan, God's command 
is that we reflect that future reality now. That our church is a window into the, the eternal reality of a united church under Jesus. So just jump down to the end of that section that uh, Sarah read for us, chapter 15, verse 5. Now here's the goal, here's the vision. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you a spirit of unity among yourselves as you follow Christ Jesus, so that with one heart and mouth you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Accept one another then, just as Christ accepted you, in order to bring praise to God. For I tell you that Christ has become a servant of the Jews on behalf of God's truth, to confirm the promises made to the patriarchs, so that the Gentiles may glorify God for his mercy. Two people joined into one new people, accepting one another, accepting differences in culture and priority, but working together, united, because they all trust Jesus. Now that's the only basis for our, our true unity. We're not united because we all agree with the Westminster Confession. We're not united because we have a, sh a shared set of values or we've all signed a member covenant. Now, those things aren't unimportant, but our unity comes from Jesus. That's God's big picture. Right, so with, with that sort of foundation, uh, uh, let's, uh, let's look at these disputable matters. Let's look at the, the finer details. So jump back up to chapter 14, verse 1. Now, here's the first piece of advice. When it comes to disputable matters, it's about accepting, not condemning. Accepting, not condemning. Verse 1. Accept him whose faith is weak without passing judgment on disputable matters. It's quite general, but then we get an example of the sort of issue uh, that's disputable. One man's faith allows him to eat everything, but another man whose faith is weak eats only vegetables. Uh, now, most of the meat that's for sale in cities like Rome and Corinth or Ephesus at that time came from pagan temples. Uh, there was no independent meat market, meat, meat uh, network. Uh, people would bring their sacrifices to the pagan gods, they'd sacrifice them, and then they'd feast on them, and that was part of their worship. That's what they did at the temple. Anything that was left over, that would get sold in the general marketplace. And so for the Christian, when they went to the market, when they went to the butcher, that was the question that they needed to answer. Now, for some Christians, it made no difference. Meat's meat. As long as it's not off, it's not bad for you. Just because someone's lifted it up to a statue, it won't harm your body, it won't harm your spirit. That's one opinion, that's actually Paul's position. He said that down in verse 14. I'm fully convinced that no food is unclean in itself. Verse 20, he repeats it, all food is clean. But other Christians see it differently. Firstly, there's the Jewish Christians. Uh, for them, the problem was that probably that the meat wasn't kosher. It still had blood in it or it was from an unclean animal. And so to be safe, uh, they only ate vegetables. Uh, either as a personal preference uh, or perhaps because they were doing it to honour God. Uh, so that's one group. Then you've got the Gentile Christians. Now, these are the ones that actually used to worship in those pagan temples where the meat had come from. And so for them to eat the sacrifices, was to participate again in that worship that they'd left. 
because it was all part of worship. They couldn't just isolate the eating from the sacrificing. And so they only ate vegetables because that way they could stay loyal to God. So that's, that's uh, vegetables. Another issue was sacred days and Paul mentions that in verse 5. Possibly he's thinking about the Jewish Sabbath. He doesn't specify. Uh, perhaps it's the, just the more general Jewish festival days uh, like Passover or the Day of Atonement. And some Jews, even though they were still Christian, would, would still celebrate those days as special because that's what you did when you were a Jew. But then there were others who weren't Jewish and they just treated them like any other day. This is a new day to the Lord, I give thanks to him. And here's what Paul wants to say in verse 5, each to his own. Whether it's food or holy days, it doesn't matter which you do. Just be fully convinced in your own mind, because they're disputable matters. Make sure you do it for the right reason though, he says. Verse 6, here's what counts. Honour God in whatever your decision is. Verse 6. He who regards one day as special does so to the Lord. He who eats meat eats to the Lord, for he gives thanks to God. And he who abstains does so to the Lord and gives thanks to God. Now to do something to the Lord, I take it means that you do a certain thing to honour God. Uh, you do it and you give thanks to God. Whether it's a day, you, you treat the Jewish Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur, as a Jew, what a special day. Uh, you use it to remember Israel's history and you praise God for his faithfulness and his goodness. That's celebrating a day to the Lord. Uh, or maybe you steer clear of the meat market because you want to separate yourself from the worship of the pagan temple because now your loyalty is to God alone. And so you abstain to the Lord. Or maybe you eat meat and you give thanks to God for it. Praise God for barbecues, you say. Or maybe you enjoy coffee. Praise God for caffeine. And you do it to the Lord. You give him thanks because he's, uh, it's part of his good creation. But whether you do or don't, what you're not to do is to use it as an opportunity to compare yourself to your brother, to judge him, to measure yourself more favourably against him, to think yourself more worthy of God's favour than him. That's what Paul says in verse 3. Have a look at verse 3. The man who eats everything must not look down on him who does not. And the man who does not eat everything must not condemn the man who does. And here's an, an interesting point. For God has accepted him. Don't judge another because God doesn't. Now those are important words. God has accepted him. It doesn't matter to God whether someone eats or doesn't. Because God looks at the heart. God looks at who we trust. If we trust Jesus, then God accepts us. Whatever we do or don't do about food or days. And so what that means, if God doesn't mind, then we shouldn't either. If God doesn't mind, we shouldn't either. It's the same command in verse 4, don't judge. He says it again in verse 10 and again in verse 13, don't judge each other. On the one hand, don't think you're more godly because you keep a certain rule. 
Don't think you're more moral than someone who doesn't. And on the other side, don't think you're more mature and enlightened in your freedom just because you're not bound to keep a certain behaviour. Now, there's all sorts of disputable matters Christians disagree on. Uh, The ones Paul mentions are are sort of ethical and um, religious ones. But there's all sorts of other issues as well, isn't there? Uh, Opinions. What sort of school should you send your kids to? Christian, public, private? What sort of music is it appropriate for Christians to listen to or not listen to? Or movies or books? Can you go to nightclubs? Can you drink alcohol? What should a Christian's attitude to the environment be? Or politics? Or spiritual gifts? Or styles of worship? Or baptism? Or more recently, vaccination? Or civil disobedience? Or confidence in the government? Now, all of these are issues that Christians uh, have different opinions about, but I would say they're disputable matters and they're not worth breaking unity over. We're reading in these verses to accept those who think differently from you, not to judge them. Paul's not saying you can't have a conversation about these things. He's not saying discuss and try to convince, but do it humbly and lovingly because love and unity are far more important than, that, than those issues. So there's the first piece of advice. Uh, accept, don't condemn. Here's a second piece of advice from verse 13. The goal is standing, not stumbling. Standing, not stumbling. Not only are we not to pass judgment on one another, there's actually a practical aspect to the choices we make as well. It's not just our attitudes, it shows itself in actions. Look at verse 13. Stop passing judgment on one another. Instead, make up your mind not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in your brother's way. So what's a stumbling block? How can you cause someone to stumble? Now, I think this is probably to do with the, the, the types of matters which have a moral or religious element to it. Uh, the sort of uh, decision where if you do it or don't do it, you are heading towards sin. Not not just some of these other things where you just have different opinions. Uh, So Paul goes on to say in verse 14, uh, all foods are clean in themselves, but if anyone regards something as unclean, then for him it is unclean. If your brother's distressed because of what you eat, you're no longer acting in love. Do not by your eating destroy your brother. Down in verse 20, he he explains it again. Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. All food is clean, but it's wrong for a man to eat anything that causes someone else to stumble. It's better not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything else that will cause your brother to fall. Now here he's addressing those people who who are free, who feel free uh, to to eat or... or, uh, Uh, watch certain things or or go certain places. And he's saying it might be okay to your conscience to eat meat or to drink alcohol alcohol and give thanks to God for it, but someone else may only be able to do those things and think about false idols or maybe to think about their father's alcoholism or their own struggle. And so that will 
lead them away from God if they follow your example. It'll lead that person to see that activity as bad rather than as something good and something they can give thanks for. And so it it becomes wrong for them to eat or drink, even if it's okay for you. And Paul's point is, if that weaker brother sees you eating and drinking, he may be encouraged to do something that is wrong for him, and so he will stumble, because he's not doing it to the Lord. And so he's condemned, verse 23 says, if he eats and doubts. And so even though it is okay for you to do it, you doing it in a way that causes him to stumble makes it not okay for you to do it. And it becomes wrong for you to do it. And Paul says, don't. Don't do it. If it was just up to you, eating and drinking, it wouldn't be wrong. But it becomes wrong when you do it such that your weaker brother is... Uh, is uh, stumbles or falls. One way that works itself out is that uh, almost all church functions, we, we don't serve alcohol, even though a number of us enjoy uh, a drink. Uh, we don't want to put a stumbling block in front of someone. Uh, you might wonder whether that's being hypocritical. No, it's not being hypocritical, it's, it's being considerate. Uh, What would be hypocritical was if I said, I never drink, I never eat meat, and then I did it secretly when no one was watching. That would be hypocritical. But what I'm saying is, I'm choosing not to in this situation. I'm giving up what I'm free to do for the sake of my brother. Paul says something like that down in verse 22 when he says, whatever you believe about these things, keep between yourself and God. You don't make a big deal about it. Don't make your opinion obvious. Then it becomes, uh, if you do make it obvious, if you brag about it or if you make it super obvious, then it becomes about you and about the issue. Uh, When what it should be is focusing on the other person and their needs. Uh, It's not being considerate. Instead, we should be helping our brother to stand rather than stumble. Uh, Standing is the language that uh, Paul uses all the way up in verse 4. He says, Who are you to judge someone else's servant? To his own master he stands or falls, and he will stand. The Lord is able to make him stand. See, that is God's goal for all of his people. Whatever their opinions on these matters is that they should stand. And so that's got to be our top priority as well for one another. It's not about our preference. Uh, What counts is unity and love and causing our brother to stand. I love verse 17. That's sort of stuck there in the middle, but it's great. Have a look at verse 17. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. It's not about my preferences. Church is not all about you. Church is not about opinions. Church is about righteousness, peace and joy. And so verse 19 says, let's make every effort to do what leads to peace and mutual edification or encouragement. That's what the body's all about. Each part building up the other. That's what is really precious. Verse 20 says, do not destroy the work of God 
for the sake of food. Now, I take it that the work of God is the church, or at least the unity of the church. Don't undermine the unity that God is working to build. Make it stronger. Now, all of that means, verse 21, that when you're faced with a choice of what you would like to do or what's going to serve your brother, the choice is obvious. Verse 21 says, It's better not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything else that will cause your brother to fall. You may like to do a certain thing, but give up your rights and instead fulfil your responsibility towards your brother. Your preference is far less important than your brother stumbling or the body being disunited. Now that leads to Paul's third piece of advice. Firstly, accept, don't condemn. Second, stand, not stumble. And thirdly, please others, not yourself. Please others, not yourself. Jump down to chapter 15, verse 1. Chapter 15, verse 1. We who are strong or to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Each of us should please his neighbour for his good to build him up. Which is nothing more, verse 3, than, than following Christ's example. It'll mean looking to the needs of your family rather than yourself. Of children rather than you. Of church visitors rather than members of the vaccine hesitant or the unvaxxed instead of yourself. It'll mean wearing masks when you'd rather not. In some ways, I think the exact nature of that disputable matter doesn't really matter. The crucial aspect is whether you're looking to the interests of others. Whatever our views are on each of these matters, let's make sure it doesn't lead to disputes. Let's talk about these things, absolutely. Let's try to convince people. But the point in it all is that we do it in humility and love and bearing with one another, accepting one another, not judging, giving up our rights for the sake of others, for their good. This church is the work of God. Don't destroy the work of God for the sake of thoughtlessness and selfishness and self-interest. Put aside your own comfort and preference for the sake of others so that they might stand rather than stumble. I just want to finish with Paul's blessing, his desire, his goal for the church. Uh, It's there in verse 5 of chapter 15. It's a great way for us to finish. Uh, The key to all of this behaviour is that we might all follow Jesus and glorify God. Here's, Here's his blessing. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you a spirit of unity among yourselves as you follow Christ Jesus so that with one heart and mouth you, you all, May glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.